Well, Mark chapter 6. We're going through a series called The Real Jesus. And uh, today we're going to be looking at being a follower of the real Jesus. So Jesus has been in the Capernaum area, but he's going now for the second time to Nazareth, the town he grew up in. As uh, one of the apostles had said to John the Baptist, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It is, it is the armpit of, of Israel. And, um, but that's where Jesus was born and raised. And so it says in verse 1 that he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. That that was the plan. Well, he must have been doing a, you know, university correspondent course with them. (laughs) No. He, He must have had some kind of special training that the Bible doesn't tell us about. No. It, it's enough to just follow Jesus, to see him, to observe him, to listen to his teaching, to do what he does. It's that simple. God doesn't need all of our energies to try to perfect in the flesh what God is doing by the Spirit. And it's a, a wonderful thing that God's given us in his word that we can know the heart and the mind and the character of our Lord. And we can then, as Paul said, get to know him and then walk even as he walks. So that's what he's trying to do. Get these 12 guys to walk in his steps, to then repeat his words, to then be kind and patient and a servant and loving as Jesus had been. And then they would go out and people would follow them as they followed Christ. And then they would have the same flavor, the same smell. I love when Mary broke the alabaster flask and, and dumped it all over Jesus. And, and that oil, that intense smell would last for weeks and weeks and weeks. But yet all that were in that house probably left with that same scent of Jesus. And that's exactly what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. They, they looked at these guys, these apostles, and they said, you guys are just like Jesus. You think you're little Jesus, Christians. That's what it means. It was actually a derogatory word. You're trying to be a mimic of Jesus. How disgusting. And it says they saw The power of God was there in their lives. They were unlearned and untrained men, but they could not deny that they had been with Jesus. That was the only thing that made them so powerful and so unique, is that they didn't have anything to bring to the table. They were unlearned, uneducated men. But where did these words of Peter come from when he was confronted at the Sanhedrin? Where did the power come from to raise this man up who had been lame for so long and he began to walk? They couldn't deny that. And they simply said, 
It all comes from one thing. They had been with Jesus. Isn't that great? It tells, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I fear for you, lest you leave the simplicity that's in Christ. Well, how do I be a good parent? You know what, guys? It can look a lot of different ways, and, and I, I think it's sort of human nature to feel like you really felled them after they're gone, and you sort of spend the second half of their life apologizing to them and uh, hoping they do better with their kids. And, um, but if you follow Jesus yourself and help them to learn to follow Jesus, they may not be, your, your parenting may be lacking in a lot of ways, but you will set them up for success. If every day, just a few minutes, read a Bible with them, share your heart with them, pray with them, and you do it consistently. And you will discover that the wisdom of God will go in their hearts. The Holy Spirit can fill them up and give them his wisdom, his knowledge, and whatever may come of their lives, they will be in step with Jesus. Or if they stop for a while, they'll realize wow, I need to get back in line here, and they'll get back in step at a later date with Jesus. Just follow me. That's it. That's all I need you to do. Follow me. Well, what else? Just follow me. The rest of it will happen as you follow me. Now, the last time Jesus was in Nazareth was a year and a half earlier, and he was there in the synagogue, and he was given the honor to read the daily reading in the synagogue, which was out of Isaiah. And Jesus said, these are the scriptures that speak of me. And then he had a rather heated, uh, you know, very pointy message, which basically said that the Gentiles will get the Messiah before the Jews will. They were astonished, it says in Luke 4, 22. They were marveling at the gracious words that proceed from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? How can this carpenter be gone for a short time and, and come back so amazing? But when they heard his message, they were filled with wrath. They grabbed him, took him up to a pinnacle, they're in Nazareth, and, and it's there today, and, and uh, we get another Israel trip in. Love to sit there and look over the beautiful Jezreel Valley. But they were going to throw him off, and then he just simply walked to the midst of them, and they didn't know where he went, and he walked away free. So now a year and a half later, again, the last time we will see of Jesus going to the Nazareth, this will be the last time we see Jesus in a synagogue teaching. But he came in verse 2 and went in on the Sabbath and came into teaching the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is 
this which which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. I, I don't get it. He's just the carpenter. And isn't he the son of Mary? Not the son of Joseph this time. Interesting. And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simeon, are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. You know, I, I just need to make a quick note for those of you who have been raised Catholic or maybe Catholics and are visiting with us here today. And that is this, that Jesus did have siblings. That Mary was a virgin until after she gave birth to Christ. But then after that, she had to consummate her marriage. She wasn't married if she didn't consummate it. But also, God created sex to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's one of the strongest drives we have. And, and, and so God created it that way. And so to think that somehow it, it makes Mary unholy or impure or less of a woman because she has sex with her own husband. It's ridiculous, but it's also unbiblical. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says this, marriage is honorable among all. Any culture, anywhere you go in the world, that's, that's a fact. And that bed is what? Undefiled. It's holy. Mary having relations with her husband and bearing other children is just as holy as her being a virgin and giving birth to the Messiah. And so, if you need to make Mary more than just a regular human person, you're wanting to somehow say, well, she's not God, but she's not human either. She's sort of above us. You know, somebody that we really need to pray to, honor and respect and, and recognize every time we come to worship. Guys, that, that's just very, very unbiblical. Let, let's make it clear here. The Catholic Church teaches that Mary is the mother of God. Not true. The Bible teaches Mary is the mother of Jesus's human body. She didn't start God. <laughs> because if she did, then she's God, not Jesus. Okay? It, and so this is, it's, it's a very important place. And so because of that, the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke chapter 142, that she will be recognized throughout eternity as the most blessed among all women who have ever given birth to a child. Just think about it. Not in the past, will never happen in the future. A woman gives birth to 100% God coming into her by a work of the Holy Spirit God beginning the life-giving process, as is normal with all women, but not normal because she was a virgin. 
And the Holy Spirit goes, you know, the, God goes into her and a human body produces in her. And when it's born, it's 100% God, 100% man. It's our Messiah. One time in all of the history of eternity did that happen. And the Lord chose her to do that. I would say that makes her the most blessed among women. So I don't want to in any way try to minimize who Mary is. But I don't in any way believe it would be God's desire that we would deify her. The last time we see Mary is in the upper room. And it just mentions she's one of 120 people. Never hear from her again. The Bible basically says she was a believer, she was a follower, and that's it. There's nothing in the Bible about her having healing powers or uh, praying to her or the church should recognize her. And, and if they don't recognize her, they're really blowing it and grieving God's heart. No, I'd say the opposite. If you deify Mary, that is grieving God's heart. And I believe it's grieving Mary's heart because she wants Jesus to be lifted up. He's the only Savior. It's not her. Well, enough on that subject. But since, uh, you know, we're in Chula Vista, and most of you guys are Mexicans, you probably came up in a Catholic church, and, you know, shoe fits, wear it, you know. I... <laughs> but notice, it wasn't only the people that had this attitudes of offense towards Jesus, but it also was his own family. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 7, it tells us plainly that Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. And they were provoking him, knowing there was a plot to kill Jesus if he went up to the feast openly. They still tried to get him to go. I mean, this is some serious offense on their parts. Of course, when you see a list of Jesus' brothers, James is always mentioned next in line. He's the second oldest son. And later we have the book of James, the half-brother of our Lord according to the flesh, who did become a believer and a leader in the church. Well, in Mark chapter 6, verse 4, so Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. You know, I, I, I just, I wonder how things went over in Capernaum with all of Peter's family and James's family and John's family. And, you know, there's just that thing, right? You're always going to be that five-year-old kid that wet his bed. I mean, it's just, it's just like a human thing to ever see anybody, you know, um, in, in a, an exalted position. And uh, I, I think they probably had a hard time of it. I think it was probably a, not smooth sailing. And of course, Jesus from Nazareth, you know, he's being treated in a special way. And what happens? We think, it's me. It's me. I've been an idiot my whole life, and my family knows it. And I'm trying not to be an idiot now, but they got, they got a really good case against me. You know? Um, 
And uh, a few years of not being an idiot is not going to make up for the last 30 years of my life or whatever, you know. Um, and so they come to Nazareth and they're thinking, well, yeah, you know, this is Jesus, you know. He, he's, he's not like an, a regular guy. And he goes to Nazareth and what happens to Jesus? Exactly what's been happening to them. You know, misery loves company. I think they're like going, wow. And I think this is so important for the disciples as they're following Jesus to see not every day in the will of God, speaking the words of God, having the power of God produces victory. That Jesus had some really awful days. Even though he was in perfect obedience, things went really wrong sometimes. And I think the disciples needed to understand that. But Jesus here makes up a proverb. And he tells them, guys, there's certain elements in human nature that are built into the will of man that are almost impenetrable. And one of those things is when you're trying to speak spiritual things into the life of your family or into those in your hometown that you grew up with. They, they just are going to have time hearing it from you. <laughs> so if some of you guys are out there going, man, you know, I wish I knew the Bible better. Man, I wish I could remember, you know, that sermon I heard, you know, only if I had been a better presenter, they would have believed. No, it's really not. It's simply them. And the fact that familiarity breeds contempt and it's your vessel on earth having been around their, them and the familiarity they have with you makes it very, very difficult to reach your family. And it, it wasn't even possible with Jesus here at this time. Later, yes, after he rose again from the dead, his family did believe in him. <laughs> so after you die, then they might read your journal. I don't know. But uh, so God only uses regular people. That was the thing. He was just too regular. He's a carpenter. We know him. Earlier, in the first time, well, it's the son of Joseph, but now he's saying, this is the son of Mary. This is a slam. Because in this culture, you did not say you're the son of any woman. It was always the man. But now I think they're like going, yeah, we, we don't believe that he was Joseph's son. In other words, Jesus was born out of wedlock. So on top of him just being a regular old guy who fixed my wall and came over and made a, uh, some stuff for me in my barn and, you know, fixed some cabinets, you know, it, it, you know, there's no way because this family has got some shady things going on as well. Um, and it's just too regular. He's just too regular for us to receive him. But guys, that's all of us. We all can get in that rut that we're just too regular. And in, in first, Chronic, or first Corinthians 1, 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that there's not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So if you say, man, only if I were better looking, only if I were smarter, only if I knew the Bible better, only, you know what, guys? You can spit and polish it and, and try to improve it and, and go for it. Nothing wrong in that. But it will never be good enough for most people because as soon as they get to know you a little bit, you're just like them and you're just an average guy who has the same marriage problems and financial problems and, and discipline issues that I do. Why are you the guy up there preaching? Because God chooses the weak vessels to confound everybody going, wow, I know Brian, those words aren't his. Um, this is the Lord speaking through him, uh, e even though he's pretty weird most of the time. God does use him when he preaches. This is with all of us. Well, going on in Mark 6, verse 5. Now he would do, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. Wow. Jesus marveled. He himself was surprised that their unbelief turned into an unwillingness that literally stopped what God's intentions were to heal these people from happening for, because of their own hard hearts. Understand the power of our free will, guys. We are equally as powerful to God in this one way. We have a free will. Now, God will not force himself on anyone. That's just not his nature to do that. So you can stand and say the most blasphemous, evil things to God. You can spit at him. You can say, I hate you. And God will accept that. But we have a yielded heart to God. <laughs> I'll tell you this. There is nothing more powerful than a yielded heart submitted to the will of God. All things are possible to him who believes, right? But nothing happens. And Jesus was shocked. And the disciples, again, they're observing this and they're realizing, wow, Jesus had people he prayed for that didn't get healed. Jesus really believed that some mighty powerful works would be done in Nazareth like everybody else, and it was a big flop. Wow, we went into Nazareth with high hopes, and we left Nazareth, and it was a big flop. And the disciples needed to see that. That even if one speaking the words of God, God himself, doing mighty miracles, even if that were you, it wouldn't be enough. It wasn't enough for Jesus. 
And so we got to understand that there's just those times where we just need to step out and pray and believe. And if it doesn't happen, Jesus prayed for people and didn't get healed. It's okay. I would rather pray for 10 people and none of them get healed than to say, well, what if I pray for them and they don't get healed? Right? Let, let's, let's, I'm going to tell that person at the gas pump, Jesus loves them and, and, and wants to be the Lord of their life and get in my car and walk away. But, but, but what if they reject me? You know what? I guarantee you that's going to happen. It happened to Jesus. But what if you talk to 10 people and one person believes? You see what I'm saying? I, I think sometimes we can get polarized by the thoughts of what happens if I give it my best and it's a big giant flop and now I think they're offended at me and, and they hate me and, and, and now there's this tension with them that there wasn't before. Guys, this happened with Jesus and he still did it. He still went for it. He still went through with it. And yes, he left town and his hometown, uh, he didn't have a good reputation there anymore. But it's okay. It's worth it. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 to 17. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, we are an aroma of death leading to death. To the other, aroma of life leading to life. Who's sufficient for these things? Is any of this really within our power to control? No. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So he's saying here, we go out and share the beautiful message of Jesus. And one group of people, it's like you pulled out a dead corpse and they hate you for it. To another person, it's like you've raised them from the dead. And for the first time, they have life. And they are so appreciative of it. But which is it going to be? We, we just got to go for it. Now people are going to say, oh, you're just trying to proselyte me to go to church with you. Oh, you're just trying to get me to start, you know, being a, a good dooter like you. You know what? Who's sufficient for these things? You, you can question my sincerity. I question my sincerity at times. I, I don't know. I, I just know this, though. I'm giving it my best. I think my heart's right in it. And, and, and understand that this is just a part of this fallen world that we're in. Later, the apostles would experience very similar things in their life. And when they would be hauled before many magistrates and to, and to, be, and to realize that, you know what? Jesus went through this, too. And it's okay that I'm going through it now. Interesting, Jesus marvels twice in the Bible. Here in this story at their unbelief. And then in Matthew 8, he marvels at the faith of a Gentile, Roman Gentile, who happened to be a centurion, who, who Jesus said, 
well, let's go to your house and I'll pray for your servant. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just speak the word and it'll be done. You don't need to do anything more than that. And Jesus says, oh, I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. Go, centurion, and it will be done as you have believed. It's essential that we do have faith. In Hebrews 11:6. we must believe that God is, and he's a rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. Well, in Mark chapter 6, verse 6b, the second part, then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So you could put it on a map and you could see a logical uh, way he's going, but there's so many villages that it was impossible to hit them all by himself. So he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belt, to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And wherever you will, you will not receive Whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. I surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for that city. So they went out and preached the people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So Jesus says, on this particular trip, don't take anything with you. It's a trip of faith and by faith. You trust God for every meal. You trust God where you're going to sleep. If you have a sandal that breaks, you trust God that he's going to fix it for you. You don't worry about if something happens to your garments. You trust the Lord's going to, you just, it's a complete faith experience. I've been on those. It's, it's exciting just to say you're in a situation where you have no ability to provide, but the Lord is leading you forward, and uh, you get to see the Lord do it. Boy, I can tell some amazing stories. Of course, this would not be the norm. Jesus, at the end of his ministry in Luke twenty-two thirty-six, he says the opposite. He says, from now on, when you go out, get prepared with some money and food and, and uh, sleeping bag, whatever you need, and then keep going, preaching the gospel throughout the world. And if they don't receive you, understand, this is going to happen more often than you want. Just kick the dust off your feet, and, and they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Just keep going forward. And he says, just to let you guys know, the light that you guys right now, this is before the cross, are bringing to these people in this Galilee region is more light than anybody on planet Earth has received thus far. <laughs> and if Sodom and Gomorrah had the kind of light you're bringing, in other words, had I said go out two by two and, and you went to Sodom and Gomorrah, and you shared what you're going to be sharing right now, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So understand, when these guys reject you, 
They have a harder, more unwilling, unbelieving heart than a nation that God destroyed with fire. Wow. Do, do you guys realize who we are in Christ? Do you realize we are ambassadors of Christ? As if though it were Christ himself pleading through us. The, the, the community, our culture is saying, be ashamed to even tell anybody you're a Christian. Because you're an idiot if you're a Christian. You read the Bible every day, you, you need to get some help. You read the Bible and pray about things and go to church. You, you should probably see a psychiatrist and get on some medication. Because, man, you are seriously mentally unstable. This, this is the pressure of the Antichrist in these last days. This is the spirit of this age the Bible prophesied. But understand who we are. We are speaking for God, the words of God. And these people that we are preaching to have more light than any generation in history. And because of that light and you preaching it, you're going to have greater effect. More people are going to come to Christ that are seriously wicked, seriously evil like Sodom and Gomorrah than you know, but you haven't done it yet. Jesus, you say, well, if I were there and went out, I would have went out in two. Jesus sent us all out. Any way you want to go. Matthew 28, last words, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, you flip over to 1 Corinthians and it tells you to stop, pause, nobody go anymore. Everybody come back, huddle. Does the Bible say that? He said go, and he never has said stop. He'll say stop when we're raptured. But go. Share what you know. God will put words in your mouth. He'll put a love in your heart. But guys, the world needs Jesus, and he's not going to send angels to do it. He's not going to stick his head through the clouds and, and speak it himself. It's us. We are the ones that are to go out now and do what these men did. You are going to be rejected, but don't worry about it. Just keep going. And take some oil with you, though, and anoint people with oil. One, only one other time that is found in the Bible in James 5.14, where it says, if you're sick, come to church and you pick out the elders. So that, that tells you that you've you got to sort of be familiar with the church. You get the elders and bring them together. Don't sit around and go, I'm here. Why aren't the elders coming to me? No, it's your faith. You're going and getting them. And maybe you're handing them the oil, saying, hey, I believe what Jesus said. There's a power here. Pray for me, and you'll be healed. Well, man, oh, man, oh, man. There is a couple of really great stories that uh, I'm going to have to just hit the pause button on, and let's see what the Lord does in this next week. Lord, we come before you now, and mm, mm, our hearts are still hungry. Mm. Your word has drawn us to you today, and we're thankful. We feel healed, strengthened, empowered by your word. And we ask in the name of Jesus 
that we would now become real followers to the real Jesus and we would just begin to be disciples, learners, seeking you in the word, seeking you in prayer, speaking what you spoke to our hearts in that day and being salt and light in the midst of this world. We know there's going to be much hurt and rejection and difficulty because of that. But Lord, we don't want to back away. We don't want to be um, cowards. We don't want to put our light under a bushel or under a bed. We want to shine and be all that you'd have us to be. And Lord, we thank you. You teach us that obedience to you sometimes doesn't look victorious. Sometimes having the perfect words for the perfect crowd doesn't mean there'll be any success, but even tremendous failure and rejection, but not because of you or your word, just because of their hearts of unbelief. So help us now to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Let's just pray that right now. Just say, Lord, just fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Just fill me up, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And make us witnesses, Lord. Pour your spirit on us and make us witnesses. Wash us, cleanse us, heal us. If you need salvation today, just cry out, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Save me, Lord. By your cross and your resurrection, cleanse me from all sin. Receive me to yourself. Write my name in the book of life. If you're here today and you've been off track and you need to get back into that narrow road that leads to life. Just cry out, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my stubbornness, my disobedience, my unyieldedness. And the Lord tells us we confess our sin. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The righteous man falls seven times, gets up seven times. Get up and follow Jesus again.